0: Saturday School is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing and your needs are evolving. As your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. From day one, you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with a bank. They'll be here to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer you solutions that support your goals at any stage, from setting up a personal checking account to refinancing household debt to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need. Because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh.
1: And welcome to Saturday School.
0: When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian-American pop culture history. Hi everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This season we're looking at Asian American interracial cinema. And today, we're talking about the 2013 documentary American Revolutionary: The Evolution of Grace Lee Boggs by the director Grace Lee. Wow, that's that's a coincidence. <laughs> Yeah, both of them are named Grace Lee, which was the topic of another documentary called The Grace Lee Project.
1: Yeah, so in that earlier documentary, which hopefully we'll talk about in a future episode, the director Grace Lee, uh, she's looking for other people named Grace Lee, which is like this laughably common name in Asian American communities.
0: And coincidentally, in that movie, which came out in 2005, she talked to a young girl named Grace Lee, who is now known as Grace Talisley, and designed our Saturday School logo. (laughs)
1: Grace Lees are everywhere. They're they're making waves. Of the many Grace Lees that she discovers, she hears about Grace Lee Boggs, this legendary activist, philosopher from the mid-20th century.
0: I remember the Grace Lee Project fairly well. That was around the time we both started at Asia Pacific Arts covering Asian American arts and entertainment. Yeah, I remember interviewing Grace Lee for that. That documentary was the first time I had heard of Grace Lee Boggs. Which, I don't know if that's embarrassing, but I didn't study Asian American history, so I'm sure that's true of a lot
1: of people. (laughs) Well, uh, the interesting thing is, at that time, I don't think she would have been studied in Asian American history. Oh, that's right. And as we'll talk about, she is this sort of strange figure in American politics in that she is a Chinese American woman who, before anybody was using terms like Asian American, she was invested in the black community. And specifically in Detroit, she was committed to organizing and philosophizing around the rights of workers and black people.
0: Grace has made more contributions to the black struggle than most black people have. There's a line in American Revolutionary where she basically says like, oh, I didn't think of myself as Asian. And then I didn't really think of myself as a woman because when I grew up, that was before the women's movement or the Asian American movement. Yeah. I'm not sure why I am who I am. I think it does have something to do with the fact that I was born female, born Chinese.
1: And so I I think what's interesting about her was she's somebody who just has this spirit in her wanting to make the world a better place. And of the different routes that were available to her or that we had words for at the time was working on behalf of black communities, black as well as the working class, like the working black person in the United States.
0: Yeah, so she was born in 1915 in Rhode Island. And when the director, Grace Lee, interviews her for the Grace Lee Project, she's in her 80s. So by the time American Revolutionary is filmed, it's about 10 years later, and they've developed a friendship. At this point, she's in her mid-90s. Early to mid-90s. I think we had both watched it when the film first came out in the film festival circuit. But it was nice for me to watch it now. Grace Lee Boggs passed away in 2015, shortly after her 100th birthday. Incredible. Yeah. So it was really just nice to have this documentary out there that kind of spells out some of her history and then has these interviews with her looking back on her life before she passed away.
1: Yeah. And and some of the interviews like they go back way back to like when Grace Lee was still making the first film. And I remember watching the Grace Lee project thinking, all, right, all these stories are interesting and all, but I need to know more about Grace Lee Boggs because she is like so outside of the mold, but also so critical in understanding like what is America. And so I guess, I mean, the director Grace Lee decided to make a full film about her, but we also get to see a Grace Lee through multiple years and its evidence through an index through like the changing of the. Uh, film quality, yeah, like four by three scenes, and then like as digital equipment gets better, and then so we we sort of see literally like Grace sleep become clearer and clearer as she's getting older, and and you're right, as a um, archive of her words, especially towards the last decade of her life, it's just extremely valuable.
0: Keep recognizing that reality is changing, and that your ideas have to change.
1: Don't get stuck in old ideas.
0: And then because her and her late husband, James Boggs, were pretty known for their activism in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, there's also a lot of archival footage of the two of them when they were much younger. Jimmy was born in the country, and you know, you'll never get the country out of him. And that was happening in me was just a rebel now.
1: Uh But also just being like such a... I mean, she's a Chinese person in the middle of mostly men, and then often mostly black men. When Grace Lee interviews her, as well as other people who were in the movement, about Grace Lee's being Chinese, everyone's just like, Folks didn't really think about Grace as a Chinese-American, she was Grace. You know, she was just one of us. So something about that that's really lovely, right? That they saw her, maybe not like she's one of them, but that she's close enough. And when she's talking about oppression, they at least feel like she's a credible voice in that conversation. And there's this really interesting moment where the film describes the moment in which Grace Lee Boggs starts to use the word we as inclusive of both her and the Black community. Like, we are in search of equality. And, and just how it's natural, it seemed, that this was possible. And, and how accepted it was. Because I feel like that's like a possibility that doesn't quite exist in the same way today.
0: Yeah. She sort of did talk about how she did see herself as an outsider, but I think in this day and age where people are a lot more race conscious, it would have been a much bigger deal.
1: And also this is before 1964 and the changing of the Asian American community. So this is before you had people f- coming from Asia for grad school, leading to a different kind of class of Asian America. All right. So she basically grew up in a time in which Asian was potentially a, a more disadvantaged and oppressed group. And so, if she, yeah, that credibility might come from that as well.
0: Yeah, I always thought it was interesting. That, you know, they talk about in the film how they both had like FBI files because they were kind of basically leading these rebellions and really getting blamed for a lot of the violence. And they got a hold of the FBI file and they say like she must be Afro-Chinese. Yeah. Just because, like, otherwise, how could you explain that, right? She couldn't have thought that the Black Power Movement had its merits, and she couldn't have fallen in love with yeah. a Black man. Like, <laughs> like, she just must be afro <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> right. And because this is, like, way before Yuri Kuchiyama, too, like, a couple of decades before her. And, yeah, so, so to the eyes, it seems like, wait, what's that woman doing here? But, you're, yeah, you're right. She does talk about how she knew she's not, she didn't grow up Black, and then, therefore, she doesn't understand that experience the way that somebody who is from that community would. But I do like the line that she says. She says, like, she felt like she was a part of, but apart from the Black community. Yeah. And I think that's a really lovely way of putting it, right? Like, you're a part of, in the sense that you're in alliance with, you're on the front lines with, but you are apart from because that's not who you grew up with. And, like, what, what a nice way of thinking about allyship, Beyond just we're standing up on the picket lines for each other, but also like we live together too. Like we're neighbors. The way that neighbors don't have to all look the same, but they are in it together and they're supportive of each other. The notion of neighborhood comes up over and over again in the film, especially with regards to Detroit, which it's not where Grace Lee Boggs grew up, but she takes very seriously like the, the future of this city and the promise of this city is something that she's going to commit the rest of her life to.
0: She talks about how, like, the reason she got into activism is because she was living in this tiny apartment that had rats. And then there were protests about the quality of housing. So she comes into activism because of her similar experience. But then it evolves. And that's the whole evolution (laughs) of Grace Lee Boggs.
1: And the evolution is part of the fact that she's also a philosopher, much of the film is dedicated to her, like the kinds of organizing she did and the people that she brought out to marches. But she's also a very prolific writer and a lot of the writing she did with her husband. And then she eventually wrote a kind of a legendary autobiography too. So as someone who's constantly thinking about the value of her work, the ethics of, of organizing, what, is it, what are the end goals? And then how do they align with larger philosophical movements and ideas like those of Marx and Hegel? And so so through all of this, a portrait of the past, of the different dimensions of Grace Lee Boggs' work, and then cutting back and forth between that plus the Grace Lee Boggs of today or of like of 2010 to 13 or so, like we see this very old woman, a very old Chinese American woman who even when she can't walk very well anymore, has this verb, has this wit and talks. So much of what makes her a legend is her conversation and how when she talks, everybody listens.
0: People are always striving for size, to be a giant. And this is a symbol of how giants fall. Towards the later years of her life, conversation becomes her form of activism. She invites people over to her home to have these conversations. And she thinks like these ideas that come from these conversations are so valuable. and. She was saying, like, the radical movement has overemphasized the role of activism and underestimated the role of reflection. That's kind of where she is in the last decades of her life.
1: And this notion of conversation is more than just kind of like intellectual discourse of people who are testing out ideas. I mean, a lot of it is that. But we see how anytime anybody comes to her home to have this conversation, she hugs every single person on their way into the door, through the door, Um it's like a neighborly kind of conversation. It's like a conversation amongst ourselves and amongst people who we have shared goals with.
0: Like Danny Glover shows up to talk to her about education.
1: <laughs> I like how there's no explanation of why Danny Glover is now in her house to talk about education. And then they just go at it with each other. Not I mean, not go at it, but like in a very um, productive sort of, we have different ideas and let's work through them yeah
0: and it's funny because like she's the one that's like look they talk about quality education which goes back to the first episode of our season right oh, of, nice. of mississippi triangle she's like when they're talking about quality education they're just talking about people who subscribe to this theory of whiteness and this achievement in this white world and it's like Hurst trying to convince danny clover of this <laughs> and danny clover's like um i don't know it's, quite- <laughs> it's- and it's funny because it's funny to see like the Chinese person try to convince the black person of that because I think it's usually the opposite, right?
1: Well, and, and the other part is like she talks about how they keep having us learn math. Like, who cares about math? The, the, <laughs> the young people I talk to, they don't care about math. Math and technology, right? It's not part of the advancement of their lives. Danny Glover's like, okay. <laughs> But I also wonder, like, and you because you see it in action. It's it's great to get a moment like that because you wonder how much of her aura comes from the fact that she's like this really old, very old woman. Who, how could anybody say no to Grace Lee Boggs in her eighties and nineties? But seeing her in their, in like say her forties and fifties when she's challenging other folks, those are powerful scenes too. Uh, and they talk about how she used to make people cry. Like they would, like they would all meet up to eat drink and talk philosophy and then she'd she'd make people cry she like she'd require everyone to bring their a game when it came to their conversations
0: (laughs) yeah she got really mad at this white lady for saying that talk is cheap talk is cheap I i find it very very difficult to take i want to tell you honestly
1: their talk was not cheap what a great thing to like put all your cards down on like no do you think talk is cheap? Like, she's somebody who, for whom talking is the source of... That's where productivity happens. And it's something to be cherished, and we can't overlook its power. Right, right. And for her, like, I mean, the film doesn't really get into how she grew up, maybe the challenges she had growing up. So all we really know about her is the way in which words became her political tool. And so, so in that moment when she's, like, defending words, it's... Yeah, it's especially powerful. But I am curious, like, what, what you think about this. Like, the fact that we don't find out very much about her backstory we do get like the basic wikipedia type notes of like what her dad did how many siblings she had where she grew up what school she went to we know very little about grace lee somebody who grew up chinese american in the united states in the first half of the 20th century
0: yeah you mean before she gets involved with the black power movement yeah so we know okay so we know she grew up in rhode island and then at some point, her dad was the owner of a restaurant. Um, we know she got a PhD. I don't know if I got that from the film. I think I was actually looking at Wikipedia. <laughs> but yeah, I think she like graduated either high school or college early and she got her PhD, but then she couldn't get a job because they don't hire orientals. And then she goes into the rat-infested housing.
1: I mean, like knowing Grace Lee's work, I think she would have been very interested in questions of being Asian in the United States. And I suspect... Grace Lee Boggs didn't want to go there. Grace Lee, the director, makes it quite clear that Grace Lee Boggs is the director of much of their conversations. (laughs) Like She frames uh, what she wants to talk about. And Grace Lee Boggs often does talk about, like, yeah, you're asking me all these questions that I don't really know what to answer about the Asian community. She acknowledges that she preceded the Asian American movement. And I think it's really interesting at the end of the film when Grace Lee Boggs acknowledges the fact that in recent years she's been discovered by young Asian-Americans. I and mean, then we get like this footage of young Asian-Americans taking photos with her. She's basically the Asian-American RBG.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right. It's <laughs> like
1: epically, seemingly invincible powerhouse of activism. And an iconoclast.
0: She was like, I'm not really an Asian American icon because I think she associates that with being somebody who's fought for the Asian American community or been a part of the Asian American movement, which she hasn't been. But I think I think especially in later years, there's this desire for an Asian American icon that is just, like, outside of any kind of box that everybody else will put us in. You know what I mean? I feel like you look at Grace Lee Boggs as an icon less because you care whether she's ever done anything for Asian Americans, (laughs) but because she's kind of a symbol of, like, you can be anything you want to be. You can be the leader of the Black Power (laughs) 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 movement. Like, that seems to stretch the imagination more than anything else, you know?
1: And clearly, Grace Lee Boggs was a theorizer of stretching the imagination. Right, I I think so much of what she called for was how do we imagine other ways of being human and how do we relate to each other as human beings? And so I think for Asian-American scholars or students who are picking up her autobiography thinking like, wait, this person exists? And then reading her words of like, no, we just have to invent it. We picture... The world that we want to live in
0: i don't know what the next american revolution is going to be like but you might be able to imagine it if your imagination were rich enough
1: but also like the fact that she was such a powerful icon for asian and black solidarity i think today or even for like last decade or so, was a reminder of what are the politics that matter to us, the kind of solidarity work that we claim to do. Like, And she becomes this seed for all of that. she's a reminder that we're not just making it up as we go along. And in fact, she had been theorizing it. And so we have someone we can build upon.
0: Towards the last decades of her life, she's very much about like creating these systems for youth so they can feel like they can make a difference. Young people can take their ideas and build upon them and feel like they can be like part of a solution for change. So it's kind of both. She represents somebody who has this wealth of knowledge and experience, but she wants to empower everybody (laughs) to be like that.
1: She's not telling any of them what to do. Uh, and, And there's great scenes at the end where she's like, I don't know why they did this. They're drawing a mural or something. Like, I don't tell them what mural to draw. They're doing hip hop. They teach me about hip hop. Like To her, that's part of the evolution. What she's there to do is to stage kind of conversations. And guide everybody. I do want to mention that, yeah, she does talk about how when she first married Jimmy Boggs, like her family, her brother's were like, that's cool. None of this seems abnormal to anybody. And I just have to wonder, is this Grace Lee Boggs, in the spirit of solidarity, not making it seem like Asian people were suspicious of black people or black people were suspicious of Asian people?
0: Yeah, because what do we what do we get in the? She says, yeah, it wasn't a big deal because my brother had a bunch of black friends. What about her parents? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and I, I'm sure like this is stuff that she just wouldn't tell the director Gracely. But yeah, I, I wanted to know more about her relationship with Jimmy Boggs because she would say stuff like, "We didn't really talk about anything personal." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> did
1: you just talk about politics all day?
0: Like, she makes it seem like it was, like, a coming of the minds and spirits and souls, and it was just, like, they were on a mission. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Like, came together on a mission, which maybe that was true. I mean, and then it seemed like a very effective (laughs) mission, you know? But, yeah, maybe. Maybe it was just, like, 100%, like, those conversations in the the house in Maine. Yeah. Where people come over and then just... And
1: cry. Yeah. (laughs) And dance.
0: (laughs) yeah. But I have to admit I haven't read her biography, so that could be a good reason to read her biography.
1: That should be the next step in all of our evolutions. Don't just watch the movie.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's what I kind of appreciate about the director Grace Lee and what she has given us here. It feels like an introduction, which like covers, of course, the span of her life, but then also tells us where we can go to learn more and kind of you know. And then that sort of feels like the spirit of. Grace Lee Boggs, you know, kind of like pushing us forward and encouraging us to f- to learn more.
1: Like when you go visit her and you have a conversation with her, you leave with a bunch of books that she's going to hand you to. Yeah, I know. So this movie kind of does that. Yeah. And, and I think part of it is Grace Lee is not an expert on political philosophy. And so much of the film is her also tra- grappling with what she needs to know in order to understand the impact of Grace Lee Boggs.
0: Yeah, there are these 30-second summaries of like Marx and 30-second summaries of Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X.
1: <laughs> and actually, that's one of my least favorite things about the film. Suddenly you get these animations of like Hegel, explaining Hegel. It almost feels a little anti-intellectual. It a little bit makes a joke of what we don't know. I wish that Grace Lee as a director was just a little bit more like, All right, I don't understand, so let's learn it with Grace Lee Boggs as opposed to these little asides to make the audience feel like you're not that stupid. Because I feel like part of the point is we all have a lot to learn. We don't have to feel bad about what we haven't learned in the past.
0: Yeah, I think I I hear you. I think I don't mind the animations because I'm kind of like, well, let's start somewhere. But yeah, it would have been nice to learn a little bit more. But I think when you look at this film, it is very—it is a little bit of an extension of the Grace Lee project. In the sense that the director Grace Lee is still a character in this film. So you understand the director met Grace Lee Boggs making her previous film, and then they've had this friendship. And then you also see her having these conversations with her and how she learns. So I think she's supposed to be like the entryway for us. But at the same time, it limits the film a little bit because it's about their relationship to a certain degree.
1: And it's about how much Grace Lee, the director, has learned about Grace Lee Boggs and her philosophy. So the film kind of culminates with this moment in which Grace Lee, the director, confronts Grace Lee Boggs about basically using her Grace Lee Boggs' philosophy to try to better understand Grace Lee Boggs the person because Grace Lee Boggs the person is showing a lot of resistance and I don't know it that moment felt to me so much like Grace Lee the director is trying to prove that she's passed the final exam <laughs> like let me prove to you that I understand your philosophy by using it against you at this moment <laughs> and it's like that it's kind of a nice moment of like director and and film subjects having their moments but it's also like this isn't I don't really care that much. I'd rather be about the evolution of Grace Lee Boggs.
0: And that's the thing, right? Like you're looking at like a 100 year life. At that point, like a 94, 95 year life, you can't cover it all. So it's, I think it's kind of inevitable that there's a part of you as an audience member that's like, wait, wait, like there's actually more I'd want to know about this other stuff.
1: But still, like I mean, Grace Lee, we we've been following her career for so long, and we have invested in her as a storyteller. And so to that extent, like, it's also lovely to see her own evolution alongside Grace, her, her relationship with Grace Lee Box. And also she's had a big year this year. Oh, if we think about her last couple of years, she ended up making a documentary on Asian American food cultures. Obviously, she was a big part of the PBS series Asian Americans that came out in 2020, as well as the documentary she co-directed called And She Would Be Next, uh, which is, I think doing the PBS rounds, if not now, then very soon. And part of the evolution also tracks the changes in America itself. And I don't know about you, but watching American Revolutionary again yesterday, <laughs> like it feels so different than um, when I first watched it in 2013. Watching it this time, this film feels very Obama era to me. The way it thinks about race is very much an era of hope and an era of we can represent ourselves and we've sort of made it and we can celebrate our heroes for helping us make it. I mean, obviously we still have a ways to go. The dream is not fulfilled, but there's still a hope that we can get there nevertheless. Yeah. And it's gonna it have to start from the ground up, but there's a hope for that. I feel like the Trump era a version of this film would be very different. Oh, I know. I mean, just right now, it's like this notion of hope is, is so distant and it's so like, paralyzing and it's almost like holding on to hope is keeping our eye off the prize which is to dismantle white supremacy so seeing her new film and then she would be next is so like the sense of urgency is so different in that film that film is about you're following women of color who are trying to seek elected office like around 2018 or so so people like stacey Abrams and rashida talib who are on the front lines of criticism like urgently saying we need to make change now Almost in the way that Grace Lee Boggs was doing in the fifties and sixties. Whereas the Grace Lee Boggs that we see when she's in her eighties and nineties is one who's a little bit more hands off, who's a little bit more like, we're achieving the promised land, let's keep working. And we see her as somebody who's made it, who's proof that we can make it. The way that we look at Obama and we say, This is proof that we have made it as a society. I think like Trump era, there's like there's no room for that kind of hope. Like we need to fight we need to fight hard, which is what we see in and she could be next.
0: Right after I watched the film, I Googled when Grace Lee Boggs passed away, and it was like right before Trump. Part of me was like, "Thank God, Thank <laughs> you know um, But yeah, it was the earlier footage. I think from the 60s, probably, that felt very contemporary. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One of the questions that director Grace Lee says she keeps trying to get an answer for, because Grace Lee Boggs talks about how, like, oh, no, I was a Malcolm person. Like, I thought Martin Luther King was naive. Yeah, Yeah, Like, what did they think about violence? Did they think violence was necessary? And were they advocating for violence? Grace Lee Boggs is not giving a straight answer, so the director, Grace Lee, asked a historian what he thinks, and he thinks they kind of saw violence as something that was already happening, which I think feels a lot more similar to probably what a lot of people are thinking now. Whereas towards the end of Grace Lee Boggs' life, when she's giving these speeches to students in universities and stuff, she talks a lot more about how nonviolence is like grasping onto this belief that people can change and people can be better, and that's the part that feels very Obama. Yeah, right? exactly. And that's the part that people are questioning now yeah. because of the Trump presidency, where people were like, "Well, we think he's going to change and be presidential," and um, and then you know, then we saw what happened there. <laughs> so, um, yeah.
1: I mean, thinking sort of the way Marx would, thinking about like the cycles of history happening here and like which version of Grace Lee Boggs is going to be helpful for us now. But also, like, I mean, like maybe the Obama era Grace Lee Boggs is still useful in the sense that thinking dialectically of like, how can we work through these tensions? These tensions that were around even in the 1960s are around in 2020, and they will keep reoccurring. These twin poles of thinking about like the urgency of our voices versus the capacity for us to show our humanity. We're going to continue to work through those tensions. So maybe we need both Grace bugs, Boggs, right? The one from the 1960s and the one in the early 2000s. And the film includes both. And that's nice for us to be able to, to cite from.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's like helpful for us asking these questions. She talks about like the first black mayor. Coleman Young. What a feat that was. But then some of their disappointments later when sometimes people of color who get in power just end up doing the same thing. So it's, it's all really helpful for us to think about, you know, what's the limits of representation?
1: Yeah. And also always like once you have representation, what's next? Like I think for, for Grace Lee Black, that's always been the number one thing. The protest is one thing, but that's not necessarily the revolution. And the revolution requires an evolution. Like that's something that she's that she actually tells us explicitly in the film. In like moments of transition and moments of political change is possible. And we're going through that right now with Biden as president-elect. Like, what is the world that we want to imagine now? And how are we gonna work on it? And it's gonna be probably a productive tension between voices that demand something of power immediately and forcefully, with those who are. If perhaps we could think about it a, a philosophical view that you can have from a guest house in Maine. <laughs> yeah. And this is one of the rare films we have this semester that you can actually find pretty accessibly.
0: $2.99 on YouTube. Watching this film right now, in this moment of time, but also within the context of our season, it feels very useful. And useful is good. Sometimes our, our episodes are not that useful. <laughs> yeah, many times our episodes are not that useful. <laughs> remember that movie we watched 10 years ago 15 years ago but this one we can pretend that by having conversation we're like part of something i don't know what
1: (laughs) you know what our listeners are way better than we are and hopefully if it gets them to watch the movie that the movie will spark in them something way more productive than we could ever imagine ourselves Yeah. yeah i believe that
0: Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Talis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh A D A T S E N G. Brian's at Who's Brian H U S B R I A N, and the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Sat School. Next week, your assignment is to watch the 2013 film Lordville. Class dismissed. It's hard when you're young to understand how reality is constantly changing because it hasn't changed so much during your lifetime.
1: a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Phoba. just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast
0: app.